Welcome to Hallucinated, a podcast for curious souls driven by a desire for discovery. Hi, hello, welcome back. Um, it's almost Thanksgiving, so I wanted to give a shout out to all the things I love very much, my favorite things. Then I thought, you are what you love to consume. You are what you love to consume. You are what you consume, but given that we have some choice in the matter, then both intellectually and physically, we are what we have taken in, filtered to keep, and assimilated. And if you, if I consume mainstream stuff only, then what does that make you or me? Um, So I've been thinking about that. And it's not that We don't want to go off the beaten path. It's just hard to find something to read or to listen to that isn't popular. Like, where would you find it? When I think of what I have read and what I project to read, it's like Phoebe Waller-Bridge's script for Fleabag, which is so popular that Obama voted it his top show for 2019. Um, Lena Dunham's Not That Kind of Girl, which I wanted to read because her HBO show Girls was so good. Louise May Alcott's Little Women, a classic, and honestly, because I saw a GIF collection, G-I-F, not a gift, uh, a GIF collection of um, Christian Bale scenes from the movie version, and I thought, I have to watch it, and I did, and it was so wholesome and enjoyable, and you have to pay attention to old films that you enjoy, because Nowadays, when you watch something, you think you like it, but really, you like the high-quality, high-production-value pictures and the crispy sound engineering, and when you watch something that is old and you like it and you know it's amazing, then, you know, you know it's amazing for real, and that's why we know Hitchcock is amazing, and that's why we know Tarantino was a genius from the start. So anyway, Little Women, and then there's Charles Bukowski's poetry, mostly because at some point I subconsciously picked up on his writing style, where I write paragraphs but in broken lines and stanzas, and his style is so revolutionarily simple that it pervasively trickled down, and people like myself who had never heard of him or read anything from him began writing like him, and... Then I saw this YouTube video where somebody read his letter to a friend about not trying and actually it's so good that I want to read it for you all now. So it says, hello, Mr. Mrs. It's a little blurry, Packard. Um, blah, 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 blah. Um, uh, okay, I was hard on the poets. Well, I'm glad I got by him and he's right on waiting only if the octopus um has you in its tentacles you can't wait too long i don't know what that means um and so anyway then he goes on writing i know what he means too many writers write for the wrong reasons they want to get famous or they want to get rich or they want to get laid by the girls with bluebells in their hair maybe that last ain't a bad idea. When everything works, it's not because you chose writing, but because writing chose you. It's when you're mad with it. It's when it's stuffed in your ears, your nostrils, under your fingernails. It's when there's no hope but that. Um, 
Once in Atlanta, starving in a tar paper shack, freezing, there were only newspapers for a floor, and I found a pencil stub, and I wrote on the white margins of the edges of those newspapers with a pencil stub, knowing that nobody would ever see it. It was a cancer madness, and it was never work or planned or part of a school. It was. That's all. And why do we fail? It's the age, something about the age, our age. For half a century, there has been nothing, no real breakthrough, no newness, no blazing energy, no gamble. What? Who? Lowell, that grasshopper? Don't sing me crap songs. Oh, and I have to put this episode as explicit. Um, okay, anyway, <laughs> we do what we can and we don't do very well. Uh, strictured, locked, we pose at it. We work too hard. We try too hard. Don't try. Don't work. It's there. It's looking right at us, aching to kick out of the closed womb. There's been too much direction. It's all free. We needn't be told. Classes? Classes are for asses. <laughs> Writing a poem is as easy as beating your meat or drinking a bottle of beer. Look, here's one. Okay, it says, Flux. Mother saw the raccoon, my wife told me. Ah, I said. And that was just about the shape of things tonight. Um, so his writing is potent, um, and I want to read you another one of his poems now. It's called, So You Want to Be a Writer. And, uh, I feel like it's speaking to me. Um, so, if it doesn't come bursting out of you in spite of everything, don't do it. Unless it comes unasked out of your heart and your mind and your mouth and your gut, don't do it. If you have to sit for hours staring at your computer screen or hunched over your typewriter searching for words, don't do it. If you're doing it for money or fame, don't do it. If you're doing it because you want women in your bed, don't do it. If you have to sit there and rewrite it again and again, don't do it. If it's hard work just thinking about doing it, don't do it. If you're trying to write like somebody else, forget about it. If you have to wait for it to roar out of you, then wait patiently. If it never does roar out of you, do something else. If you first have to read it to your wife or your girlfriend or your boyfriend or your parents or to anybody at all, you're not ready. Don't be like so many writers. Don't be like so many thousands of people who call themselves writers. Don't be dull and boring and pretentious. Don't be consumed with self-love. The libraries of the world have yawned themselves to sleep over your kind. Don't add to that. Don't do it. Unless it comes out of your soul like a rocket. Unless being still would drive you to madness or suicide or murder. Don't do it. Unless the sun inside you is burning your gut. Don't do it. When it is truly time. And if you have been chosen, it will do by itself. And it will keep on doing it until you die or it dies in you. There is no other way. And there never was. That got me emotional. Like I'm starting to tear up. Um, uh, Not emotional enough to cry, but you know, that was pretty potent. And I don't know if you've heard of Bukowski, but he's 
pretty acclaimed and is not really a kept secret by any means. Um, so then there's, there's Shakespeare. Everyone in the English and non-speaking English world, non-English speaking world knows Shakespeare. Um, I read Hamlet because it was like 50 cents at this used bookstore and I used to do theater in high school and um, I did, we did the, you know, to be or not to be monologue and so um I don't know I was just curious and anyway it turned out to be amazing and that's the thing about these acclaimed authors they really are something and it's hard to want to stray from them and then there's French literature um Sartre, Camus, Proust, I read uh Flaubert's um Madame Bovary but I didn't like it but I like Sartre, uh, Camus and Proust and I want to read Simone de Beauvoir. And then there's German philosophy, Nietzsche mainly. Um, actually, I've only ever earnestly read Nietzsche. I have tried to earnestly read uh, Immanuel Kant, but obviously that's a challenge. Um, Schopenhauer, I've read in quotes, but his words don't give me life, so I don't want to read him. Anyway, you get the idea. And, you know, I don't see how I'll be able to be an independent thinker when I'm chewing on the same intellectual fodder as everybody else. I feel like I'm going to forget how to think for myself if I keep on consuming mainstream literature. Um, I'm learning Italian right now and maybe that'll open up some doors. Like last night I was reading a short story in Italian, a really simple one meant for non-native speakers to get used to reading in Italian. And after reading in it, my brain was like, okay, I'm ready to listen to some Italian now. I feel well-oiled. And so I watched a YouTube video where this guy talks about spirituality and philosophy. And he said that modern spirituality is nothing but comfort. Um, it's a money-making machine. He pointed out some of the things that people in a spiritual circles say that when you say them together, sound pretty individualistic, materialistic, and maybe even narcissistic. It's like, I want to manifest things, and if I just align my energy right, then I can have whatever I want, and if someone doesn't like me, and if something doesn't work out for me, then it's really my own doing, because I have all the power, I am God. And it made me question these new beliefs I've been absorbing, and that's good because you think you're an individual because you're spiritual but then you realize you've been indoctrinated and that you're witnessing and participating in the formation of a new dogma and it's not that we don't want to be independent thinkers it just takes so much more effort to consume something that isn't readily shoved into your face most people have trouble reading anything at all Sometimes I feel like people think I'm being a good kid for reading. It's amazing how reading is such an accomplishment, isn't it? We're literally consuming other people's words and it's not as though we've made anything. It's like being applauded for eating food. Well, I want to make food, so to speak. I, I want to expand my palate. I want to read things that barely anyone has heard of, I don't want to reject the mainstream, um, critically acclaimed things because they are good too, often. I just want to also consume things that aren't those things too. When it comes to music, maybe I go a little more obscure because I like world music. 
I love Indian music. I've gotten a bit into Tibetan throat singing music, but most of the time I listen to pop and classical music. And as a result, I play pop and classical music. There's nothing wrong with pop and classical, but I feel like my inner world ceases to grow if I stop there. Like Mozart's uh, Turkish March, it sounds almost nauseatingly repetitive now because of its enduring popularity. And of course, when people write <clears throat> impressive variations and play it really, really fast, it's always a delight to watch and listen. It's almost like Olympic level finger uh, track and field. But, you know, at the same time, Mozart incorporated Turkish elements to the song, which made it interesting at the time. The bass line is supposed to mimic Turkish percussions, and it does sound interesting still. It's just we've all listened to it many times now. And I have this fear that I'm living in an existence that others are living too. Um, it's funny because at the same time of wanting to connect and find shared understanding, I want to feel singular. I feel like if someone else has already lived my life, then I don't need to live it too. I grew up in a um, metropolitan city and when I first moved to the suburbs, I felt like I couldn't breathe. People seemed so uniform and it's ironic that Americans are so frightened of communism because of our desire for individuation when really these American suburbs are some of the most uniform places I have ever seen. Wanting to be an individual is part, partly spurred by the belief that my cognitive empathy is enough to replace experience and as, as we've discussed I think in previous episodes, Nothing truly replaces first-hand personal experience. Like, we think we know what something is like, and that turns out not to be the case at all. Something as simple as going camping. You feel like you know what it's like in your mind. You feel like you know that you're going to hate it because you're going to be cold and you have to sleep on this stiff mattress pad. But your brain has no way of foreseeing foreseeing that actually you're going to love it because the cold makes you relish and delight in things like having warm water in your mouth and belly like I've never enjoyed warm water that much before and that you know you're gonna sleep better camping than you do at home because the natural light is so conducive to proper circadian rhythm you have no way of accounting for every bit of information and knowing exactly how the conglomerate of all the all these factors might feel firsthand. But still in my mind, somehow I feel like life is not worth living if I have the same experience as everyone else. I feel like I'd rather do something and I'd rather you do something else and then we come together and talk about our different experiences. And what also frightens me is the idea that there is only one experience available. Like, here you go. Here's the standard life package for everyone produced in the 90s. It makes me claustrophobic. So that was the first part of my podcast today. I almost want to call it a first world problems rant, but it's not really a problem because the solution is pretty obvious. Like, explore, be more curious, know that there are books out there that aren't bestsellers, know that there are songs out there that I can't even conceive of yet, and just scout them. And now I want to just give a shout out to all my favorite things because it's almost Thanksgiving and I want to give thanks, be grateful. 
I heard that being grateful is about noticing when you really enjoy something. So here's what I enjoy. Books. Especially when that book teaches me how to enjoy something else. Um, and actually, it doesn't have to come through books. Anytime anyone teaches me to enjoy something, to acquire the taste for something, I am excited and satisfied at the same time. A character in a show could be like in sweatpants and jogging around and they can say, I've taken up jogging and I'll randomly be stroked the right way and I'll be like, yes, that gives me life. Jogging seems so fun. A lady on YouTube could be like, I got this book on nutrition for opera singers and I'm going to make this 100% vegan fruit soup right now and I will be stroked the right way and I'll be like, yes, I want to eat like an opera singer. I love taking up habits that make me feel like a prima donna. So I have, in fact, started to eat in a more like vocal cord friendly way. Um, I took a class on singing in college and this opera singer came and said that grapes are beneficial for the vocal cords. And ever since, I've used that specific word beneficial in thinking about grapes and I love it. And if I meet someone and they show me new music in front of me, I usually love it. I think it's because um, I can watch them enjoy the music, the way they bop their head and tap their feet, the facial expressions they make, the way they hum along. Um, it just feeds my brain and activates my mirror neurons and I learn to love the music too. And I feel like the more we love, the better. The more we enjoy in an Epicurean sort of hedonistic way, the better. Better for what? Um, I don't know, but better, happier, more pleasurable, more worthwhile. Next, um, I love this journal that I got. Um, it's called 300 Writing Prompts and... It looks like a Bible on the outside. It's navy blue with silver colored lettering and it asks me about um, questions about my feelings and thoughts like what do you want people to say at your funeral? You know, like fun questions. <laughs> um, I wasn't looking for it. It's like I was summoned to go to it. Uh, I got it from Walmart, so by extension, I am now deeply appreciative of Walmart. Really, of all the boring journals they could have, they managed to have this, like, amazing writing prompts journal, and it almost makes me feel like the buyers for Walmart have some sort of cheeky artistic vision secretly. The next thing I love is my piano. Um, I read Chopin's letters because I thought they would make me more appreciative of the piano and maybe it worked because I had a piano for all of my teen years and I dreaded playing it and now it's like I have to be careful. I have to make sure I've gotten my daily exercise in and have done all the other things I wanted to do before I sit down at the piano bench because even if I tell myself it's just going to be a quick in and out, I end up staying longer than I expect usually. And yesterday, for example, I played for four and a half hours. Anyway, so in the book, um, Chopin said, I don't know if it was in the book that he said this exact quote, but he said, play it the way you feel. And in the book, he said, um, I tell my piano things I used to tell you. And when I play, I think of these words and I think of how I'm feeling and I play with feeling and I literally feel like I'm having a conversation with it or through it and... Um, 
like I'm talking to to a higher to a higher existence I don't know it's too delicate to explain and anyway so the next thing is learning to do stuff or the moment you find out that you can do something like um like I can find melodies and even some harmonies now by ear um to the exact key and knowing how to do something like that makes me feel like I've opened up a new world of possibilities things previously inaccessible to me now are mine to hold the next thing is setting out to do something and then doing it some things are more immediately gratifying than other things um I set out to paint a reproduction of Matisse's goldfish and I did and it pleased me right away and it continues to gratify me um, just seeing it next to the TV, which is where we put it, makes me feel good. Partially because I made it, partially because I like it. It's a painting I really like for Matisse. And mixing the colors and matching them to the original was a lot of fun. Um, sketching out the original in exact proportions was a lot of fun too. But honestly, it's mostly that I get to look at it now. Like, it feels good. I guess it's a reminder that I can do things I set out to do. I also painted a Van Gogh reproduction of um, almond blossoms and it's not as exact. It's hard to paint an exact replica of something like that, but maybe not hard. It's just time consuming. But anyway, I made something that, you know, you would think it's a reproduction of it. Um, and, and it brings me so much pleasure and that pleasure was immediate and also enduring um, I have the painting in my room and every time I look at it, it just, it makes me feel good. Next on the things that I enjoy is, uh, my room, the things I've put in it, the precious things I've carefully chosen and decided to have around me, my house, um, my cat, his furry warm body, his gentleness, his authenticity. Um, I love taking responsibility for him. I had to take him to the vet on Monday and it made me feel important and I guess part of something like I'm involved in something intimate um I love my neighbors <laughs> there are a lot of kids who play together in my neighborhood and they play cricket um they ride their bikes some of them golf on their lawns they talk to each other run around together one time they found a baby bird in a mailbox and got really excited and they're really fit kids, um, they're active, and some of their parents stand around and oversee their leisure activities, and I love that they go out and play. I love that they're friends with each other. I love how my neighbors are friendly with each other. I'm not really a part of the group. I'm not a part of the group at all, but it's nice to be amongst them, at least geographically. I love it when the kids are called to dinner and the streets are suddenly empty and I think the only time they're not out playing on the streets in their free time is when they're eating and I love this cat in the neighborhood I only met her once but she was so affectionate and like she came up to me and she let me pet her and I hope to meet her again and I love these three cats I met the other day in this like cabin area they were super affectionate too and I picked them up and held them and they were really down to be petted and they were soft and extremely cute I also love dogs in theory um but I haven't been able to play or 
meet with many dogs lately, so I've forgotten what that's like a little. And I love wombats because they're cute, they're authentic, and they're full of life. And I think I'm going to just cut this episode off here. I could go on and on about what I love. And once the momentum gets going, you suddenly remember so many things that make you feel happy. And um, I guess now that I'm here, I'll mention wombats a little bit. Um, So wombats are having a tough time right now. Currently, there are uh, 250 northern hairy-nosed wombats left in the wild. And just to give you a comparison, pandas... Uh, there are like 1800 pandas um, and you know you can imagine the kind of publicity that the pandas get and anyway so wombats are actually crucial to Australia's ecosystem because their burrows provide necessary shelter for other animals that are also in trouble and if you're interested in learning about them I have some wombat links in the description below um yeah, uh, thank you for listening to this episode. Um, I'm curious to know what you're thankful for. So if you want to like write in, um, please do. Um, and thank you for, for listening to my podcast. If you want to give it a five-star review on um, iTunes um, and let me know that you like it, um, that would make me feel really, really awesome. And that would definitely make my favorite things list. Um yeah, I want to guess going forward, I want to set like a Thanksgiving's resolution. Um, I hope to discover some things between now and the next Thanksgiving, uh, in 2021 that are, you know, not mainstream things that, that I can, that I can say that I love and that I can say have influenced me and helped me to become more of an independent thinker. And I want to, love more things. I want to be a more loving person. (laughs) I want to surround myself with people and things that I love. I want to do more of the things that I love. And yeah, thank you for listening to this episode and I will see you next time. Bye-bye.